Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to Strong Reception today. As 2020 draws to a close, I wanted to do an episode about musicians and singers we lost this year. And here to help me discuss some of them is award-winning arts journalist and Boston Globe opinion columnist Renee Graham. Please read her column in the Boston Globe and follow her on Twitter, which is on fire right now. Renee, how are you? I'm good, Eli. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Considering everything, I'm, I'm healthy and safe, so that's good. That's all we can ask. Yeah. So um, we've had to say goodbye to so many luminaries this year, uh, just so many giants who contributed a lot to music as we know today. I, I, I forgot Little Richard died this year. Well, I did not. I, I, I didn't forget that at all. I mean, it was, you know, I was such a big Little Richard, big Little Richard fan. Um, yeah. Because more than anyone else of his time, you know, he brought a black queer sensibility to rock and roll yes you know and that was dangerous and that was amazing and it was just the most extraordinary thing to see i you know i was mm. i was kind of born after his his sort of peak in the 50s mm-hmm. but you know i could certainly remember seeing him on tv the first time and thinking oh my god who is that yeah and and how was he getting away with this yeah you know? right so yeah. yeah monumental loss little richard Absolutely. I mean, one of just, just one of the architects. I can't think of a less cliche word right now, but just one of the architects of of popular music as we know it today. And I didn't. I just want to clarify. I didn't forget that he died. I just forgot that that was this year. Because mm-hmm. uh, so. this time has no meaning this year. <laughs> not right. Not really. Uh, other luminaries. I just want to mention uh, before we get into the people that that we're going to delve into in a little more detail. Uh, Bill Withers, so important mm-hmm. to. <laughs> the world of American song as we know it. Um, Eddie Van Halen, of course, one of the just, you know, most influential guitarists of the 20th century. Right. McCoy Tyner, the uh, legendary jazz pianist who I only started listening to a couple months ago. And I just saw the other day that he was one of the people we lost this year. I was like, all, no. these, all those amazing albums with John Coltrane, his, mm-hmm. the solo work he did. Huge. Yeah. Uh, I do want to mention uh, Viola Smith, which is a name I just learned recently. I only learned when she died. She died at the age of 107, Mm -hmm. and she was a uh, swing-era jazz drummer who had her own band, The Coquettes, and was called, quote-unquote, the fastest girl drummer in the world. (laughs) And uh, there's video out there of her doing her signature song, which is called Snake Charmer, and really incredible, and there's some great interviews with her, and she, she... advocated for bands hiring more women musicians because those are the mus- the the women in jazz that we don't hear about enough are the musicians i mean can i just can i just throw out some other names of people we lost Please. this year Please. Uh, ellis marsalis patriarch okay. of the marsalis family john right. prine um charlie pride mm-hmm. uh, menu debango who was a, a an african um saxophonist who had a huge hit in the 70s called soul makosa uh hamilton bohannon Fantastic producer during the disco era who had one of the most timeless dance songs called Let's Start the Dance. Okay. Uh, Betty Wright had a big hit with Clean Up Woman. Mm -hmm. Lots of work with younger musicians as a producer, as an arranger. Ronald Bell from Cool and the Gang. I mean, it's it's been a hard... Mm. Millie Small, who made the song My Boy Lollipop. um, Oh, yeah. Which is an early reggae hit. You know, it's just... It's been a devastating year. Yeah, those are some some folks that I'm not as familiar with. Um, I'm looking down the list. Uh, Jimmy Cobb, who was the drummer on uh, Kind of Blue, the Miles Davis album. Yes. Uh, he died this year at age 91. Uh, Ennio Morricone, 
It died, also died at age 91. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Composer, Oscar-winning composer of many film scores. Mm -hmm. The list actually goes on and on. But today, uh, Renee and I are going to talk about some people who are just particularly special to us, maybe aren't as household names as some of the people we mentioned earlier, like Little Richard or Bill Withers, but uh, just did some very special things that we want to talk about. So do you, do you want to go first? Uh, sure. Um, you know, something that the, the people I want to talk about all have in common is they all come from musical families. Hmm. Um, and none on my list more so than Bonnie Pointer, yes. um, who of course was known for the work she did with her sisters, Ruth, Anita, and June and the Pointer sisters. Um, you know, in the early seventies, they had this sort of, you know, they were doing a lot of vocalese and jazz, um, but she was also a writer. She she co-wrote their song Fairy Tale mm -hmm. um, with her sister Anita, which won the Grammy for Best Country Group Vocal Performance. Mm -hmm. The Pointer Sisters' first Grammy came from a country song that they yeah. wrote. Um, but she left the group in 1977, and she had her biggest hit as a solo artist two years later um, with a remake of a song called Heaven Must Have Sent You which was a cover of an obscure R&B song by a group called the Elgins. And it is just probably the most ebullient song of the disco era. It's got tubular bells and a big string section and hand claps and this sort of thick, buttery bass line. It's just, it, it, that song sounds like sunshine to me. Let's, uh, let's hear a little bit of it. Yeah, there are those bells. Yeah, just right out of the gate, just a disco stomper. Exactly. And uh, I didn't think of this when I first heard it, but uh, I saw commentators saying about this song, it's memorable because she goes into a sort of uh, Louis Armstrong impression about halfway through. At the end, right. In the end, she starts saying, you know, it's heaven, but she's doing it in a sort of raspy, satchmo voice yeah. that you kind of go, where did that come from? But then it, yeah. it's kind of a flashback to, you know, it's kind of a flashback to what she did, uh, you know, when she was with her sisters and they were doing so much of, of sort of retro jazz. And so it just, it, it kind of closed that circle in a really interesting way. And just, it was the kind of song you kind of felt like anything could come in and you, and you put it right. You just, you're stomping, you're strutting. It has yeah. this swagger about it. And then she ends it almost sort of like scatting her way through like Louis Armstrong. It's amazing. I, I delved more into the Pointer Sisters' uh, career and her uh, getting ready for this, and uh, I learned so much about them because I grew up in the '80s, so I remember the Pointer mm -hmm. Sisters. But I was—I didn't realize I only knew the hits that came after Bonnie had left the band. Right, they had that whole that whole second career afterwards. Yeah, yeah. from about '79 to '85, '86, they were they were commanding the charts with, with hit after hit, like the neutron dance. And mm -hmm. I'm so excited, but I went back and listened to their early albums in the last couple of weeks. And I was like, wow, they just weren't afraid to do whatever they wanted. I mean, you, you think back in you know, the early seventies, like what can you do? And they decide to do 
you know, vocalese, which is a very specialized kind of jazz singing. And essentially what, what you're what doing- What does that are, mean? Vocalese is what you take, you take a song like uh, Salt Peanuts by Dizzy Gillespie, mm-hmm. which is an instrumental, but then you had someone who wrote lyrics to that song, but they wrote it in the way that it was written as an instrumental. So they're actually imitating the instruments, but with words. You better remember what I told you when the man come better start running better with this juice and kiss you. That's all she wrote. Oh, you kiss, 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 And it just was, it was exciting. It was, it was really fast. It, it almost sounded like hip hop in a kind of way because of the wordplay. Mm. And it was just, and, and, it, and it made them huge. And they had, so they had this sort of retro thing. But then they started to change and they had other songs like, you know, Bet You Got a Chick on the Side and Yes We mm-hmm. Can Can, which were R&B songs. And I think with them, it's just to always show they could do anything. It, it's funny. I listened to an interview. I think it, I don't know how, if it's from last year or the year before uh, on, on Questlove's podcast, uh, Questlove Supreme, he had uh, Bonnie and Anita on. Mm-hmm. And uh, they talked about when they were making their first album or making their first singles, you know, there's four young black women uh, and they were just expected to do R&B and funk and soul. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Like that, you know, they're like, why don't you just sound like more like the Jackson five? Right. And they were interested. They were influenced by musical theater. They were influenced by jazz. They were influenced by country. And you talk about, uh, you mentioned Fairy Tale, which was their hit in 19, sorry, I think it was 72. Yeah, no, it's um, no, 74. Album. Yeah, that's sorry. a plenty. Yeah. Right. Their, their song Fairy Tale was, was a country song that uh, Bonnie and Anita wrote together, uh, which won them their, as you said, their first Grammy. And it was an award for best country performance by a duo or a group. Uh, they recorded the song in Nashville with mm-hmm. uh, musicians from the Grand Old Opry. And then they played at the Grand Old Opry in Nashville. Uh, they they claim is before Charlie Pride uh, played there, who um, was I, one of the very I, few. Sorry, go on. I actually think that's true. I did a, uh, a, an event with with Ruth Pointer a few years ago, and I asked her about mm. that. And they, I believe they were the first black artist to play the Grand Old Opry. Mm. Um, and my understanding is that not everyone knew exactly quite what to make of them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, you yeah. know, because they were they were very much dressed the way they did in those days with these sort of nineteen forties flowered dresses and the right. hats and the whole thing. And you know, and here were these, you know, these three these four black women um from Oakland, California, mm. singing a country song and not as a parody. Like it was a it was a serious country song. Absolutely. Perfectly done with lots of steel guitar and all of that. And the Grammys loved it. I <laughs> mean, who saw that yeah. coming? Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to mention uh, one more thing about Bonnie Pointer specifically, because the, the Pointers all grew up in Oakland and were coming of age in the time of the creation of the Black Panther Party, which uh, was founded in 1966. And uh, Bonnie really uh, made her way into that sort of circle. And um, she said that she wrote poetry with Angela Davis. And uh, in the interview she did with Questlove, and I hope he's not going to come after me for this, but I 
<laughs> I I just here she remembered one of the poems and recited it that she co-wrote with Angela Davis and when she did it it was just such it was amazing the other voice you might hear uh, in between here is her uh, her brother oh, Fritz uh, there to, to be a part of that movement but uh, with Stokely Carmichael mm. so we did a lot of work there you know I was writing you know. poetry with Angela Davis in fact, at the time I can't too. say what fact, <laughs> really? I did write a couple of poems with Angela Davis yeah. really did you got did you publish them are they can you find them? No, I have them in my head. <laughs> well, Huey Newton was hit tired, in my body. Tired, sick and tired of being sick and tired, lost yeah. in the wilderness of white America. Are the masses asses? Cool, said <laughs> the master to the slave. No problem, don't rob and steal. I'll be your driving wheel. Cool, baby. And he willed us into 300 years of black madness from hog guts, bleach and creams, promises and Uncle Thomas's to the streets, to Watts, to kill. Boom! Two honkies gone. Motherfuck the police and pockets of the two black people tired. Sick and tired of being sick and tired. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to share that. See, now I wish she had done a spoken word album, you know, and get, yeah. those th- get them out there. Man, the way she spit that was incredible. <laughs> like off the top of her head. She just yeah. knew that. That's that's pretty amazing. Just one of those things that she just kept with her, you know, forever. How can, you know, amazing. You, you write a poem with Angela Davis. I imagine that's something you'd remember. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so why don't I go ahead and share one of mine? Uh, I would love to talk about uh, Freddie Toots Hibbert, who was the lead singer and founding member of Toots and the Maytals. And if you don't know uh, Toots and the Maytals, uh, they are one of the seminal Jamaican groups to come out of the uh, late 60s, early 70s. Uh, never achieved the fame of Bob Marley or Bob Marley and the Whalers, but the influence is just immeasurable really and he is one of my favorite singers freddie toots hibbert uh he died on september 11th this year believed to be age 77 and according to his obituary in the new york times there was no cause specified but he was recently reported to have been hospitalized with covid-like symptoms um yeah he founded the maytals in 1962 in kingston with jerry matthias and raleigh gordon his song canon, his songwriting canon is so incredible. You, you Again, you might not know his name, but you might recognize so many of the songs. Uh, Sweet and Dandy, uh, 5446, That's My Number. Uh, his version of Take Me Home, Country Roads is incredible. It's one of my favorite vocal performances. Pressure Drop. Pressure Drop. Of course. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> pressure Drop, huge Monkey song. Man. Monkey Man. Uh, yeah. Monkey Man and Pressure Drop. These, these, are, uh, these are songs that I came to. Uh, through my own, just, you know, my own personal journey, maybe one of ignorance is when I was, you know, high school and college, I was getting into first wave and second wave English punk and ska. And the English late seventies, new wave punk ska movement was super influenced by Jamaican music of the time and Jamaican Mm -hmm. music of the sixties as well. Uh, the clash very famously did pressure drop, uh, pressure drop, uh, came to Broth Toots and the Maytals to worldwide fame when it was included in the movie um, The Harder They Come from 1972, mm-hmm. which is a Jamaican sort of, I get, I hesitant to call it a crime movie. Uh, there is crime involved. This is sort of just this journey of this young man coming from the countryside to Kingston to start a music career. Which starred, starred uh, Jimmy Cliff. 
starring Jimmy Cliff, yeah. who was also an, an amazing ska and reggae musician. Uh, one thing I want to mention about Toots is uh, he is credited with uh, coining the term reggae uh, and being the first person to use the term in a song. Supposedly, it comes uh, he he mispronounced a slang word strege, which is a a uh, term for a woman who is uh, maybe a little haggard. And um, he said reggae instead. And then during some rehearsal session, just said, just started chanting, do the reggae, do the reggae. And that resulted in the song, do the reggae. But uh, yeah, I just want to play a little snippet here uh, of the first song I ever heard by Toots and the Maytals with them performing it. And the song is 5446 Was My Number, which Mm -hmm. Toots said he wrote about being arrested for marijuana possession on his way back from a gig early in his career. Uh, He says that he was framed. It was a frame up. And uh, 5446 was his incarcerant number. Mm -hmm. Sing it up, mister! Hey, what I say, sir, yeah. Yeah, no, 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 yeah. Get your hands in the air, sir. Woo, yeah. Then you will get no hurt, mister. No, no, no. I said, yeah. I said, yeah. What they say. first time I heard the song was I had gone to see the movie. I don't know if you've seen this. This is England yes. in 2006. It opens with it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. it opens with it. <laughs> and it's a, it's a, a very tough coming of age story about a, a boy in uh, Northern England uh, during the Falklands War. And uh, it opens with just a montage of what's going on in Britain at that time, Margaret Thatcher, the Falklands War. And it, it's this song. And I thought, this is the greatest song I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Who is that singing? I love, I, I, I absolutely love Toots and I had the chance to go see him, uh, in doing a solo tour in, uh, 2019 oh, and, wow. but I didn't go. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, my girlfriend and I had just, we had just been to Sony Hall to see Eric B and Rakim mm-hmm. and then, and then they announced they were having a, a Toots, uh, Hibbert solo show and we had just been there and we kind of don't love that venue. Right. Um, and for whatever reason, we're like, ah, oh, we'll catch him next time. Mm. And then that goes to show you sometimes there's no next time. I've had that happen. It's, it's, it's a, it's a hurt you never quite get over. Yeah. Yeah. I just, one last thing I want to mention about, uh, Toots Hibbert is his, um, the, the, the fans he had in the music world is kind of incredible. Uh, he won a Grammy for Best Reggae Album for his 2005 album, True Love, in which he re-recorded a lot of his Toots and the Maytal hits with a star-studded cast of collaborators that included uh, Willie Nelson, Keith Richards, Bonnie Raitt, Eric Clapton, Bootsy Collins, The Roots, and and um, Shaggy, of course. He and Shaggy redid uh, Bam Bam. Mm-hmm. It's just that alone is is just a testament to to his the breath and also just the breadth of his influence mm. you know these aren't all reggae artists but it just it just says everything about who he was as a musician as a songwriter 
uh, and just the contributions he made to uh, popular music. Yeah. Okay. Why don't we uh, go back to one of yours? Um, okay. I want to talk about Edna Wright. Not a name a lot of people would know. Um, she was the lead singer of the uh, all-woman soul group Honeycomb in the early mm-hmm. 70s. They were short-lived, but like in the early 70s, they had four huge hits, um, the biggest of which was was called Want Ads. And you know, it's it's kind of a funny thing because it's it seems like a novelty song, but when you and I don't think I really appreciate this because I was very young when that song came out, but mm-hmm. it's really about a woman saying exactly what she wants in a man in a relationship, and <laughs> you just you don't you don't really get that because it's the whole idea she's going to put a one ad to find the person she's looking for, you know, because mm-hmm. you know she's broken up with a man and now she needs someone new, and so the the song opens with the wording of this ad she's putting in for what she needs. So do you have that? I do. That's her singing, right? That is her. Yeah. Yeah. What a voice. It's so good. I mean, <laughs> but you know, my my friends and I were always like entering dance contests and things when we were kids, and that was one of the songs we picked in school to do to make up a dance to. But the whole awesome. idea, like you know, experience and love preferred, but we'll accept a young trainee. You know, it's great. It, yeah, something I didn't I didn't realize until she died. She's Darlene Love's younger sister. Yes, I learned that too. I had yeah. no idea. And I, mm-hmm. a bunch of my friends were just like, really? And then once you look at the picture and go, oh, no, I totally see it. But mm-hmm. I had no idea. And that's partially how she was able to get her start because mm-hmm. she she met Phil Spector. But you know, Phil Spector didn't launch her career. That came later with, when she joined with two friends in Honeycomb. And mm. they had you know, one ads, another song called Stick Up. Um, yeah. One Monkey Don't Stop No Show. Yeah. Uh, and their last big hit was called The Day I Found Myself. And okay. all of these songs were very much sort of woman affirming. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. Again, I don't know that as a kid I, I realized that, but there was definitely a feminist edge to all of this music. And of course, this is taking place right at that moment. And, you know, we're talking about the women's liberation movement in the sort of the late 60s going into the early 70s. And that's what these songs were amplifying. You know, Absolutely. in a way that was still very funky, very soulful, and she just had a dynamite voice. I I love the image of you making up a dance with your friends to that song. First of all, but, <laughs> I can actually even remember some of it. Um, thank God uh, that no one has to see that. But um, it, it just—we've no, all know, done that. I mean, right? I mean, and so I would definitely put Honeycomb, even though they're not as well remembered, in a category with with other all women, you know, singing groups like the Emotions, mm-hmm. First Choice. Um, three degrees. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. the, the power of the voices was just fantastic. And I, you know, I was really, you know, it was tough because when she died, it really took me back to how much that music meant to me. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, she died uh, September 12th this year at the age of 76 following a heart attack. In the uh, the the bio, bio on all music for Honeycone, uh, the writer Alex Henderson wrote, 
They only stayed together for four years, but were still one of the best female soul groups of the early 70s. Absolutely true. It's very, very true. And you don't, it's, you don't really judge them you know, by their longevity, although you can because the music still holds up. And that mm. says a lot about, uh, about how good it was. The 19, so one ads came out in 1971, and uh, of it, Wright said, uh, it was a girl that was just really tired of stupid. She was the kind of girl who knew how to say no and knew how to reach for what she wanted. Uh, one little known fact, or I didn't know this, uh, that I learned about One Ads is uh, a 16-year-old Ray Parker Jr. plays guitar on it. Ah, look at that. See, about that? This, is, this is what I miss about liner notes. All these little <laughs> wonderful details yeah. <laughs> you used to get to know and, and yeah. didn't. Yeah, I think we, had, we didn't have the album. My, my mother had bought the, the 45 okay. of, um, of One Ads, and that's how I first mm. heard it. It topped the Billboard Hot 100 uh, in, uh, sorry, went to number one in 1971, bumping off the Rolling Stones' Brown Sugar, <laughs> which I'm kind of like, good. <laughs> which feels so right. <laughs> yeah, that, that, to me, that feels right. Okay, so I'll, I'll go the next one. And, and you know what? Let's just stay on the, on the you mentioned the women's lib era and mm. the uh, ERA era. Let's, I'm going to go ahead and mention uh, an artist we lost this year who was very important to that era and a product of that era. Helen Reddy died this year, uh, died on September 29th at age 78. She had lived with Addison's disease, but she also uh, had dementia from starting in 2015. She had many hit songs, but one of her, her absolutely most famous song is I Am Woman, which was released in 1972. And uh, it is a very powerful song that spoke to a lot of people. Do, do you remember when this came out? I do. Um, you know, I was I was far from womanhood at the time, and right. I didn't understand why there wasn't a song called "I Am Kid." I do remember thinking that, um, <laughs> and I did think the That's song was great. incredibly cheesy because what did I know of women's liberation? But mm -hmm. you know, it it was an anthem, and it was an anthem in a moment that really needed it. You know, you're talking about a time mm. when you know women were trying to get the Equal Rights Amendment passed. And well, we're still trying to get the Equal Rights Amendment passed. Um, yeah. And, yep. and you know, it it was this kind, it, it sort of faced down the patriarchy Absolutely. and kind of established your place in the world. I am strong. I am invincible. I am woman. Not I am, not I am a woman. I am woman. It, it was an important song. It was. Absolutely. Um, she conceived and wrote the lyrics for that song, and Ray Burton wrote the music. Uh, I like the way. Oh, and it, sorry, it uh, it went to number one in the charts in December of 1972. Uh, in NPR's obituary, I really like how they put the context. Uh, they put "I Am Woman" in its historical context. And they said it this way: It became a smash the same year that the Equal Rights Amendment passed the Senate, and when Shirley Chisholm ran for president. The Supreme Court decided Roe v. Wade just a month after I Am Woman reached number one. It, it felt like a moment. It felt like a movement. Reddy's uh, husband, then husband and manager, Jeff Wald, uh, he tried to get uh, Capital to put this out as a single and he had to do a lot of convincing. She'd already had a hit the, that year with her version of I Don't Know How to Love Him from uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. She went to number 13 and now her uh, she wanted to record this song and Jeff Wald, her husband, tried to get uh, the execs at Capital and they eventually begrudgingly 
uh, put it out, but uh, he recalled a Capitol executive telling him that women's lib crap is going to kill her. Why are you letting your wife do this stuff? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so much wrong with that statement. You know, it, there's always that weird pushback to these things, and. Mm. You know, I can remember hearing at the time, you know, that there were certain stations that were kind of reluctant to play it. And and what was she saying that was so radical, really? Mm-hmm. You know, but it, but it just sort of says, you know, the way the world was then and frankly, the way the world is now. Um, and that people will always push back from something that doesn't maintain their idea of the status quo. Absolutely. Um, they, th- it, it was slow to become a hit. Um, it didn't hit the charts until about six months after it started getting airplay. Jeff Wald and Helen would just go to, well, he primarily would go to radio stations, uh, local radio stations and try to get them to play it in the hopes that people would call in and request it. And that's eventually what happened. Um, but Reddy recalled, uh, she said it was hard, so hard. Many, so many radio stations would say, well, we're already playing a female record. Well, that's what I mean. You know, I mean, it's like, well, why do we need records by two women? We have one. Yeah. And- or does that mean a record about female empowerment? Like, we're, we already have one of those or something. You know, we're already playing one ads. So why do we want to play this one? I mean, look, it, it, it's, it doesn't really sound like any pop song of the era. And that's because it's not supposed no. to. It's an anthem. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's not trying to be you know, frothy and frilly and have great pop hooks. It has none of those things. But that's also part of why it works because it takes itself seriously. You're right. It's not trying to be fun in any way. Uh, I'm just going to play a little bit of it. I am woman, hear me roar in numbers too big to ignore. Too much to go back and pretend Cause I've heard it all before And I've been down there on the floor No one's ever gonna keep me down again Whoa, Yes, I'm wise But it's wisdom for the pain Yes, I paid the price But look how much I gained These lyrics are so powerful when you when you look at them. Yes, it's got that seventies uh, maybe overindulgence a little bit, but that that it was does. the time. But but at the same yeah. time, there's nothing compromising about those lyrics. And I appreciate no. the fact that the way she wrote that song, she's not trying to make anyone comfortable, and that's what you and that's and that's kind of like the way you always have to deal with these things. It can't be well, you know. Well, I don't want to make people uncomfortable. Their discomfort is their problem. Your job is not mm, to accommodate mm. them. Your job is to tell the truth, and that's what she does. Yeah. Yeah, I was so late in discovering the greatness of this song. I, I really had never listened to the whole thing. I really didn't know more than the first two lines until a couple of years ago. You know, I'm I'm a generation or two later, but like I... I knew it as a punchline, right. basically. I am woman, hear me roar. Hear me roar like became a standard punchline for you know, office jokes, mm-hmm. basically. Like, yeah, I am Bob, hear me roar, right. or whatever. Um, when I actually sat down and listened to the song and listened to the lyrics, I was really awestruck because as you say, she doesn't hold back. Um, 
I know too much to go back and pretend is a very powerful line mm-hmm. in that first verse. Um, yes, I am wise, but it's wisdom born of pain. Like that's, well, if, that's no if, joke. If I'm listening to it now and I haven't, to be honest, I haven't listened to the song in its entirety in, in decades, but mm. it's in a lot of ways, it's a civil rights anthem as well. Mm-hmm. And in mm-hmm. all the ways that the the women's movement was influenced by the civil rights movement, you hear it in that song. You mm. know, I've been down, I'm not going to be down again. Mm. And all of that, I mean, it's just, you know, it's such a a punch <laughs> against yeah. all the nonsense that you've had to put up with. And, you know, mm. she's singing from a place of knowledge. She sings it with lived experience. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a classic song that really doesn't get its due. She won a Grammy in 1973 for best female pop vocal performance for that song. And, uh, I don't know if you know this or remember this, but after thanking Capitol Records and Jeff Wald, she famously ended her acceptance speech by saying, and I'd like to thank God because she makes everything possible. <laughs> and I'm sure that upset the same exact people who didn't like yeah. the song. And that's exactly the uh, point. Yeah. yeah, that's great. I watched <laughs> I watched the clip of her saying that last night uh, at the Grammy Awards. I was like, wow, it's just such a great, just a great That's pretty move. badass. You know, that's, that's, yeah. very, she, again, she, she does not get her due in so many mm. ways. And I, I, I hope with her passing, people have made the effort to, to rediscover her music. Hey, so before we continue on to our discussion of Renee's final artist of choice, I want to give a little warning. In the following conversation about Justin Towns Earl, Renee and I discuss topics related to suicide, as well as drug and alcohol addiction. If you wish to skip over this section, which lasts about 10 minutes, you can jump ahead in the podcast to about the 43-minute mark, where we start to talk about my final artist of choice, Roy Hammond. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or ideation, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or text the word HOME to the number 741-741. Thank you. Okay, I believe you have one more for us. Yeah, this is this is a funny one. You know, I grew up listening to Bonnie Pointer and, and Edna Wright with Honeycone. Um, mm-hmm. But the next artist I'm going to talk about, I never knew he existed until the day his death was announced. I'd never heard of him. Mm. Um, his name was Justin Towns Earl, and I was sort of doom-scrolling uh, that last doom scroll of the night on Twitter. And I saw <laughs> a little, you know, tweet that uh, singer songwriter, Justin Towns Earl, the son of Steve Earl had been found dead. Mm-hmm. Now I knew who Steve Earl was. He's a sort of alt country mm-hmm. musician. I've liked some of his music. I had no idea he had a son who was a singer songwriter. And so I clicked on the story and this is like, you know, 11 o'clock on a Sunday night. I click on the story mm-hmm. and I clicked on the link that mentioned that he was best known for the song Harlem river blues. And, I, and just the mm-hmm. name alone kind of sounded interesting to me. I clicked the link mm-hmm. and, and, and went to the video. And it was this, it's almost hard to describe. It's this really upbeat, rollicking, almost kind of a gospel song. But it's a song about someone who's preparing to die by suicide. Yeah. That they've made their peace with this world. This is what they're going to do. They're ready to meet their maker. And you're like, oh my God, like, what person makes that song? But again, you're, 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 you're snapping along, you're tapping your foot. And, mm-hmm. and it just sort of opened up this sort of, you know, rabbit hole for me into his music. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it says everything that when, you know, Spotify does that sort of annoying thing at the end of the year, this is what you were listening to. 
that somehow <laughs> this person I, I listened to for the last really two and a half months was the third most listened to artist on my list. Hmm. He made eight wow. albums in about 12 years. He died of a, of a drug overdose at 38. And mm-hmm. he wrote very specifically and very honestly about his addictions and about his really fretful relationship with his, his father. And mm-hmm. it was the honesty. And it's been so little honesty this year in so many ways yeah. that I think that's what I really connected to in the ways that Everything he he wrote in a very unvarnished kind of way. And also the influences. You know, his favorite singer was Billie Holiday. But when you listen to him, you're hearing Hank Williams and Woody Guthrie and Lightning Hopkins and the Staple Singers. He was like this, he was like an encyclopedia of American music. Uh, The the, uh, medical examiner's report came out three months after he died. And his, uh, whoever runs Justin's uh, Instagram account put out... uh, the medical examiner has concluded that the cause of his death was an accidental drug overdose uh, next to alcohol and cocaine. The autopsy report revealed traces of fentanyl, indicating that the that that usage of fentanyl laced cocaine resulted in an overdose. Right. Um, yeah, a lot, lot of pain yeah. there. I mean, no one was surprised, um, but it's this, mm. this, it's still incredibly sad. Mm. And I, I just he's, he very quickly became one of my favorite artists and. You know, Harlem River Blues is is really just a masterpiece. I was really struck by this and and, and his other songs that I listened to. I did not know who he was until you mentioned him to me. Yeah, not not um, well known. He you know he yeah. recorded like I said about eight albums and an EP, all for for small labels. Um, he was certainly hmm. known in a, sort of what they call Americana circles. Um, he sort of hated traditional Nashville, and you know okay. I think. You know, he might have been well known if he kind of stuck to one particular style, but he never did. You know, he mm. did kind of, you know, he, he dabbled in soul music. He did this, he did country. He kind of did anything that kind of, that, that, that kind of tickles his fancy. You know, he, you know, he described himself as a dropout junkie that can write a song. And, and he really, really could. And there's so many beautiful turns of phrases in that song and really, everything he does. And it's not like, you know, he's not one of those people who's like singing about drug addiction, like, you know, here I am, I got the needle in my arm, but he's a song called moving on where he says, um, I tell my mother, I've been getting sick again. And we both pretend we don't know why. Well, I talked to my mom today. She seems like she's doing fine. Tell her I've been getting sick again. We both pretend we don't know why. She says one more drop of rain. She swears we'll all be drowned a lot. Then she asks me how my father's been. And we both pretend we don't know why. And you know that point what he's talking about, and and he talks a lot about a lot about his parents. I mean, he had he had companion albums, one called Single Mothers, and the other called Absent Fathers, because mm-hmm. he didn't really grow up with his father because his father was off on the road, and he had a really difficult right. childhood. Of there were periods of life where he was homeless, where he hustled for money, and he talks about all of it, you know. And it's mm-hmm. just you know, I, I feel I feel great regret that I I missed it all in his lifetime. Mm. That I can I can listen mm. to it all now and I can see all the clips, but I miss the progression of his career. Yeah, um, his parents uh, split up when he was young. Um, 
he said he struggled with drug addiction and drinking from the age of 12. Um, interesting though, he played in his father's band, the Dukes. I didn't know Steve Earle had a band called the yes, Dukes. Uh, still does, I believe. Um, okay. yeah, he played in his father's band when he was 17 and got kicked out because of his drug use. His yeah. father, who also struggled with drug addiction. Um, yeah. and he just, yeah. How did that conversation go? I wonder. It's fine. I mean, they did play together occasionally after that, but the, the levels of anger that he has and feeling abandoned by his father. Um, hmm. especially early in his life, are are very plain. And it's just that, you know, even in the line in Harlem or her blues where he says, tell my mama I love her, tell my father I hmm. tried. Like even hmm. that kind of caught my attention because there's something about the difference between calling someone your mama and your father, not my daddy, my father. Uh, there's a formality uh, there that to me at least suggested distance. Um, and so with way too much hmm. time on my hands, I just listened hmm. to everything he recorded and uh, again was absolutely blown away um, by what I heard, the way he played. He was an amazing guitarist. He had this sort of claw hammer kind of guitar playing. You'd see more of a banjo player uh, use. Okay. And, you know, again, I, 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 I'm so sorry that I missed it, that it took his death for me to realize he had lived. When I, uh, one of the lyrics that popped out to me in Harlem River Blues was, uh, when you see me walking up the FDR, just a singing and a clap in my hands, tell my mom I love her, tell my father I tried, give me, give my money to my baby to spend. I mean, I'll admit, I've, I've had thoughts like that. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I, I, I've definitely had thoughts like, how, well, at least everyone knows I tried. Right. Uh, and this, I, I've definitely had those thoughts, um, yeah. before considering things like that. I'll be honest. And, I like that he puts in the detail uh, that maybe only New Yorkers will will identify <laughs> with or understand about the FDR. Right. <laughs> he says, uh, walking up the FDR, singing and a clap in my hands, that's not something anyone would ever do unless they are, <laughs> you know, on the edge of something. And, um, you know, that's the FDR is the east side highway that runs right. along the East River on the Manhattan side. And it's definitely not for foot traffic, first of all. And you kind of get a sense of how desperate this character is. But 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 in this sort of weird way it it doesn't sound it sounds like someone who's resolute, not desperate. Hmm. And, and and it's a tricky thing to play with when you're talking about suicide. Um you know, it's not celebrating it necessarily, but it's just about this person who has reached this point and this is what they're going to do. And and it, yeah. and because it's wrapped in this, you know, this sort of wonderful music, you can you can kind of lose the point of that. But it's just it's it's like that's just the kind of songwriter he was. And you know, he was also very much influenced by uh Towns Van Zant, um, who was also a very okay. troubled singer songwriter, and that's where he gets his that's his who's named for Towns. Right. Uh because Towns Van right. Zant was one of his father's best friends, but his mother absolutely refused to let her son be named after him because he also died mm. uh relatively young from, you know, his, his successes. And, mm. you know, I, I hope more, again, in this that way, I hope more people kind of stumbled into his, stumble into his music the way I did, um, because it feels like a real gift in really difficult times. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I want to wrap up with one more. I'm going to go with my last uh, person, and that is Roy C. Hammond, <laughs> a name I didn't know until he passed away this year. Uh, he died on September 16th of liver cancer. But uh, I knew one of his songs very well, and that song is the 1973 track, Impeach the President, <laughs> uh, which is did not become a hit 
but obviously came out in the, the height of the, the Watergate investigation uh, before Nixon resigned, but when impeachment was definitely in the air. Um, this song is so bold on its own, chanting repeatedly, impeach the president. <laughs> in the, but on top of that, it became famous for uh, its use in hip hop. Yes. It was used to the extreme as a sampled beat in hip hop. So let me uh, first give a little sampling of uh, this is so this song is credited to the Honey Drippers, which was a band that Roy Hammond produced. He himself was a singer uh, of of a lot of soul, funky soul music uh, from the 60s on. But he uh, found this group, the Honey Drippers in Jamaica, Queens, and uh, worked with the drummer very hard on getting this opening beat going uh, that continues through the song. Ladies and gentlemen, we have- Okay, I want to stop for a second. I'm going to play more in a minute. But that beat is one of the most famous beats in but hip-hop I, I, that has I, been sampled. I, I know the hip-hop song Song I'm already thinking of the minute I hear that beat. So Which one? Nas. Oh, which Nas? Uh, I can. Okay. Yeah. See, for me, I'm thinking uh, Marley Marl with um, Bridge. MC Shan, The Bridge, mm-hmm. opens mm-hmm. with that beat. Uh, and Marley Marl said about that beat, that snare, crack. Any song that used it, that was a hit. It's also used in Eric B. as President by Eric B. and Rakim, Audio 2, Top Billin, NWA, Gangsta Gangster, Tupac, I Get Around, Crisscross Jump uses mm-hmm. it. It's it's kind of funny when you think about it, like just how how much that beat contributed to hip hop. <laughs> I want to start this over. We'll appreciate that beat one more time. And then I want to, I want to play a little more of the song uh, so that we hear some of the hilarious yet extremely bold lyrics. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the honey drippers in the house tonight, and they just got back from Washington, D.C. I think they got something they want to say. Now, this is Roy C. singing on this. There's more about this group, but I just I gotta think like maybe it's good for for them or for Roy that this song didn't become a big hit because in its time anyway because I think Nixon definitely would have sicked his whole dog all of his dogs on this band and it might, it might, you know, going through their taxes it might have been a badge of honor too <laughs> to be yeah. on his enemies list um, you know it's funny. During uh, the most recent impeachment, uh, I started putting together an impeachment playlist <laughs> that I wrote about for work. And I just sort of put, a, I put it out on Twitter saying, you know, what should I put on this list? So many people came back with the Honey Drippers, Impeach the President, mm. and I, I, which is a song I didn't know. Okay. And I was just like, and then when I heard it, I thought, wait a minute, like, have I heard this song before? But what I was hearing, of course, was the sample. 
is what I knew mm. uh, of the song. So yeah, it's a lot of people, a lot of people knew that song and, and immediately brought it to my attention. Um, I only heard of it through just reading and listening to a lot of hip hop interviews with people from the you know golden era mm-hmm. uh, and uh, reading a lot about hip hop. And the just, the song just kept being mentioned, impeach the president, impeach the president. And, I, and I'm like, I got to hear this song. And I was really blown away by it. There is a part in the, in the second verse where uh, <laughs> Roy, Roy Hammond is, is sort of playing someone who's doubtful about whether or not he should be impeached. And he's like, no, you can't say that. You can't say that. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's not right. You know, that's not right. <laughs> Um, but their chorus is impeach the president over I and think, over. I think something that sticks in my mind also about it as a, as a hip hop sample is the idea that just because one person has sampled it, no one's going to say, well, we can't use that. It's too hmm. good to not use, you know, right. I think that's just a sort of a great tribute to the music, but also a message that hasn't really gone away, um, at all. Hmm. And I was, I, you know, I was hoping it would have this sort of second life, um, last year but it, it didn't quite uh, come to pass the the title of the uh new york times obituary is roy hammond soul singer who birthed a hip-hop heartbeat dies at 81 yes. um and i just want to mention some things about his career outside of this because it's really interesting his his career was certainly overshadowed by the success of the beat of that song. Mm. Uh, but he was a very accomplished singer, songwriter, producer. He owned his own label and he really pushed boundaries with all of his music because in 1965, he had his first and possibly only hit with a song called Shotgun Wedding that he sang himself. And he was not shy about singing about sex and indiscretion. And, you know, the lyrics in the song are like, now I got to find a job for you, me, the baby makes three shotgun wedding. Hmm. That's the chorus. <laughs> um, no, no doubt about what that's about, is there? Yeah. He also has a song, a song, follow up song called In Divorce Court, <laughs> uh, where he says, Judge, Judge, I want a divorce. You got the power in your hands. <laughs> he says, Look at me, Judge. Look at the baby. If you think it's mine, you got to be crazy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he has a song called Caught in the Act. He has a song called After the Disco is Over. After the Disco is Over and It's Time to Go Home, Can We Stop by a Motel and Get It On? <laughs> uh, this is a guy who wasn't shy. And I got. it reminds me of, um, I remember listening to uh, uh, Fonte from Little Brother talk on, mm. on the Questlove podcast. He's one of the regular contributors saying there's sort of a strain of Southern soul music from the 70s and 80s that um, didn't cross over into mainstream, but is just, kind of dirty <laughs> like like it's, it's accepted that it's on the dirtier side that the right. innuendos are are very bold you, and it's kind of you'll music, hear them music music you had to hear in clubs you were not going to hear on the radio uh-huh. yeah um in addition to those sort of raunchier songs he has some songs that are really about social issues and racial justice uh, he has a song called i wasn't there but i can feel the pain mm. which uh is on his album sex and soul in 1973 uh, about feeling the pain of being a slave, uh, mm. being an enslaved person. Uh, he, one of the lyrics is, I wasn't there when they raped my great-grandmother, but I can feel the pain, is the chorus. Um, yeah, he has a song called Song of Peace um, that's very cynical, actually. He says, there goes America going down the drain. No matter who you vote for, everything remains the same. White against black, black against white. When we are together, there's sure to be a fight. Mm. You know, I, I think I appreciate the fact that he felt the need to not sugarcoat life. Hmm. 
Yeah. And that he concentrated far more on, on telling things like telling it straight. Yeah. And not just, well, if I, if I soften this, then I'll have a big hit. You know, I, I like that there was a, a sort of artistic integrity there. That really struck me. And he has a, he has a really great voice too. Um, if, if you get to hear more of his stuff. Yeah. That really struck me that he didn't, he, you know, he didn't hold back. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's it. Um, that's my last person. Thank you for, for having this loving tribute with me. I, I really enjoyed it. I, you know, the, the few things I like, I enjoy as much as talking about music. So thank you. Anyone else you want to give an honorable mention to? Oh boy. You know, I mentioned uh, sort of earlier, Millie Small. Um, okay. And she was a reggae artist and she had the song, My Boy Lollipop. And it was by far her biggest hit. And it's just one of those sort of ubiquitous songs that seems to pop up in TV shows and commercials and movies because it's just this joyful little confection, you mm. know, with this very girlish voice. Um, and if people don't even know who she was, they know the song. Okay. And there's a great sort of immortality in that. Yeah, I don't I don't know it, I'll be honest. I, I don't know if it, I've heard I, it. I would trust me, if you heard it, you'd know it. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. just this it's just like this little bouncing you know, it's it's really it's uh it's ska, it's sort of a rock steady song. Okay. Um but again, massive hit in in the sixties. I think I wanna I wanna say she was from London, but I'm not sure. Okay. Um, but massive hit and it just and I don't know if she ever had anything that, that was comparable to it. But sort of any 60s reggae compilation is going to have my boy Lollipop, mm. who makes mm. my heart go giddy up. <laughs> mm. uh, I'm just perusing a list, and I just this popped up for me. Uh, Johnny Nash died this oh, year. Oh, that's right. Oh, my goodness. Age 80. Right. Uh, famous for his song, I Can See Clearly Now. And a great Another. cover of Stir It Up, which was uh, the Bob mm. Marley song. Yeah. Mm. He had some he had some great hits and he had beautiful dimples too, as my mother often commented <laughs> on. <laughs> but yeah. uh yeah, and and it, it just you know, there's there's a certain point where you know, you know, this was a difficult year, obviously because of COVID. And a number of the musicians mm. um were, were were killed in the pandemic. And but a lot of these musicians were also, you know, getting into their seventies and eighties and you you just start losing these amazing people and they you know they can't what they did can't be replaced. Mm. You know, there was nothing yeah. cookie cutter about, you know, Bill Withers or John Prine or or Betty Wright. It, you know, mm-hmm. they were so unique. They were so iconic that, like, their loss almost can't even be measured. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, those are the people whose whose work will be with us forever, you know, that, that, that will always stand the test of time because right. they did it their way. <laughs> Not to quote another song. <laughs> Sorry, I really didn't mean to do that. Um, by the great Sid Vicious. They did it <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking more of the original, but okay. <laughs> Sid did his thing too. That's true. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, everyone. If you want to check out Renee Graham's opinion column in the Boston Globe, and I highly recommend you do, she is a fantastic writer. You can do so at bostonglobe.com or follow her on Twitter at Renee Y. Graham. 
We had so much fun chatting that I'm going to be releasing a bonus episode soon of more of our music talk where Renee and I go in heavy on The Clash, a band that is super important to both of us. And Renee shares with me how she tried to get into their famous impossible to get into series of shows at Bonds Casino in Times Square back in 1981. And uh, there's also a historic moment in our conversation where I attempt to hold my tongue and use my inside voice when Renee admits her indifference to the Beatles. You're not going to want to miss it. So please subscribe to Strong Reception on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your pod stuff. And if you enjoyed this episode, uh, please share it with a friend, share it with family, uh, let people know about it. I'd really appreciate it. And please stay safe, be well, wear masks, and stay apart if you can. Much love. Thanks.